Welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. As always, I'm Cameron Tabatabai, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. It is finally the NBA Finals. The cursed 2020-2021 season is coming to an end, but it's a pretty good-looking Finals, so I guess we can celebrate that. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Finals, we'll talk about the Olympics, we'll talk about some of the nastiest stuff around the edges of the NBA going on right now, perhaps the most important stuff going on in the NBA right now, and then we'll get out of here on that. So, Alex... How are things across the way in Somerville? Uh, things are okay. They're very rainy here, and my car appears to have finally kicked the bucket. But, mm. you know, do what we can. Onward and upward. Cool. If you see anyone, a particularly good-looking guy, thumbing it on Mystic Ave, that'll just be Alex. Dr. Quinn, how are you? Also uh, sheltering from rain for uh, the usual, I guess, here in Mexico yeah. City. Mexico City sounds like so chaos. Kind of happens here on the regular. Super exciting. Well, yeah. Uh, apologies if there are disruptions to our internet because all of us are recording through thunderstorms at the moment. So bear with us. But also we've been living in Zoom for 15 months. So who isn't used to that? All right. Let's talk about the finals. The finals is uh, not particularly Celtics-centric, although in a sec we'll check in with some of the former Celtics who are actually playing in these finals. But Suns, Bucks, uh, let's just go around the horn. Are you shocked? Are you pleased? And what are the things that you're looking for? Alex, you shook your head no. Oh, uh, well, that wasn't a no. That was a shock, uh, more of a shake of disbelief because <laughs> if you had told me at the beginning of this NBA season that the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, fresh off of a meltdown in last year's bubble, would be competing for the NBA title, I would have been quite surprised but that's kind of been the story of the season you know teams have been dealing with an unprecedented rash of injuries particularly to star players not to denigrate the accomplishment of the bucks or Suns. both of them have played really hard and have strung together some impressive playoff victories to get to where they are but uh it's certainly a very unexpected finals that being said, I think it's actually going to be a really good finals. I think both of these teams are really evenly matched on a number of different levels. And uh, just from a kind of health of the league standpoint, while the league's players might not be all that healthy right now, uh, I think it is cool to see two small market, non-glamour teams making the NBA finals. Uh, it, it provides hope for teams that are kind of stuck in the middle that have historically been kind of overlooked the flyover teams, so to speak, that if you make opportunistic moves and build through the draft, there is a path to the finals. You just have to be ready when the super team collapses or when star players get hurt. So uh, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a great series and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Every 1970s feel to it. You know, I mean, it was the last time the Bucks were there. It was one of the last eras the Suns were really strong. And I don't know, I would be lying if I said I expected either of these things, but I did feel that the Suns and the Bucks were probably the second most strong team in their respective conferences, in my opinion. I just didn't think they were going to make it. I thought that it was going to be too hard to get past Brooklyn, and I thought it was going to be too hard to get past the Jazz. That was my team out, out yeah. in the West, so... Uh, Alex, to close the loop on what you were saying, Phoenix is the 12th biggest media market, according to the site that I'm looking at, and uh, Milwaukee is the 25th biggest. So definitely not, you know, LA, LA or New York, New York, but pretty cool. I'm pretty surprised, but 
hey, these two teams play defense. And I'm, I love that the two best teams in the playoffs by way of defensive rating and two of the better defenses all season long made it to the finish line because, yes, there was some fluky injury stuff, but I really don't understand. I mean, I understand from like a – I'm a talking head on TV standpoint how you over, over, overemphasize offense because that's more interesting to talk about perhaps, but defense is literally half of the game, so it has to be – at least half is important. And so I'm glad that really good defenses are on showcase here. But Justin, maybe you disagree? No, actually, I kind of feel like the pendulum has swung as far as it's going to go in one direction. We are getting some rule changes next season mm-hmm. to kind of make it possible to defend a bit more. Right. And I think people are just tired of seeing super high-scoring games with super high variance. It's just – it's really hard to get a feel for a team, and this is actually kind of a refreshing return to something. I mean, I grew up on Big East basketball in the 1990s, yeah. so I mean, grinding defense is something that I just I expect in basketball, and it's just been very weird the last decade or so. It's true that both of these teams kind of make their mark and forge their team identity around defense. Uh, I mean, if you look at both of their rosters, you've got – Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, Giannis, you know, all of these standout defenders who can really kind of muck up people's schemes. But I have to say, despite uh, the Bucks having at times some really ungodly awful stretches of offensive basketball, <laughs> both of these teams are also not quite as bad offensively as I think Some people make them out to be, particularly the Suns, who can get really hot if Booker, Paul, and Aiton are all rolling at the same time. And the Bucs, you know, the Bucs play a scheme that really emphasizes taking open threes as soon as they're available, regardless of whether they actually have the shooters to do that. And sometimes that looks really ugly when you have like Giannis and Drew Holiday pulling up with 17 seconds left in the shot clock. But there is something to be said, and I think this kind of showed out in the Hawks series a little bit, uh, in that the Bucs can get hot. And when they get hot, they're really hard to stop. Um, you know, so none of them, with the exception of Middleton, are real dead eyes, but all of them, all, everybody that the Bucks have on the floor, with I guess the exception of Giannis, really have the ability to get hot from deep, at least in some capacity. So there, there's more offense going on here than I think uh, the narrative maybe gives them credit for. No, I agree. And the Bucks have shot very poorly from three, except for Chris Middleton. And I expect that that trend won't continue. Um, So they have the opportunity to get hot, especially if Giannis is out for game one or longer, the floor really changes and opens up. I'm sure we all agree that we hope Giannis is healthy and doesn't overextend because that would stink if he did something damaging. I'm just off the cuff. I'm curious, uh, who are you rooting for? And what one player do you want to see succeed the most? It's somewhat overplayed, but I really would be impressed to see Chris Paul win a title at 36 years old uh, at this stage of his career. You know, I think that I'm I'm pulling for the Suns. Uh, I've been pulling for the Suns basically since the Celtics got eliminated. Uh, And, you know, I just think it would be a really cool story to see this 
young team that was brimming with potential but never really got over the hump. And then they make some smart veteran acquisitions in Chris Paul and Jay Crowder and a couple other guys, Tory Craig. You know, just like building building this team very organically through a mix of good drafting and smart free agent moves and trades. Uh, you know, Monty Williams, I mean, that guy deserves all of the respect mm-hmm. and love in the world for what he's done in Phoenix and just kind of rebounding from the unspeakable tragedy that he's had to go through. So, I, you know, and I, I have to say, I, I, I would be okay with the Bucks winning the finals. I wouldn't be like devastated if that happened. But there's just the basketball kind of storyline fan in me would love to see Chris Paul hoist the title at the end of all of this. Pretty impartial, uh, to be completely honest. I'll be happy if either team wins, so I'm, I'm going to be happy. Uh, I think you get the same kind of narrative of someone who's, you know, tried to break through so many times in Giannis. I think that either way, we're going to get a good feel-good story with the next NBA champion, and it's not Brooklyn, and it's not the Lakers, so I'm pretty <laughs> happy. Uh, I agree with Alex insofar as Chris Paul is just, if not the, I, I don't know, I hate ranking players. I think that that's intellectually uh, dishonest, but he's one of the most important players of the 21st century. But we don't talk about him like that because he's never won a ring. And because titles are such an important currency in the way that we talk about the NBA, give Chris Paul one because we need to talk about how good he is and how impactful he's been for the past 15 years of NBA basketball. Although... There are parts of me that really like the Bucks. I love that they love the WWE. I love Splash Mountain. I love Drew Holiday. But yeah, uh, as a Cameron, I think because of Cameron Payne and then also the Chris Paul thing, I think I have to root for the Suns. So I don't know. I'm gonna. I think I'm rooting for the Suns, but emotionally, if I find myself rooting for the Bucks, I'm just gonna roll with it because I don't really have a horse in this race. Uh, any other thoughts on the finals? Anything that we're looking for? Any one player that you want to shout out? Save the four that we're about to talk about. <laughs> Alex, uh, I, do, up. <laughs> I, I do have one that I want to shout out before we get there, uh, which is uh, Tory Craig, who is in a weird spot having played for both of these teams this year. Uh, having played so he's getting game. a ring one way or the he's, other. He, well, assuming that the Bucks, if the Bucks win the title and then decide to bestow Tory Craig with a ring for his contributions earlier in the season, that yes, he will get one. So Tory Craig is in a good spot. I've just been really impressed with his development over the playoffs. I've been kind of loosely following him since he was in Denver. And, uh, you know, he always struck me as an interesting project who could never really put it all together. And, uh, you know, I don't think Tory Craig is like a superstar, but he's become a really high quality bench role player who can come in and get stops, hit a corner three and just kind of make stuff happen. So Tory Craig is the one that I'm watching for the Suns and then for the Bucks. You know, Bobby Portis has really just been a revelation for them in this playoffs. He's really uh, brought a level of, like, he's he's the wild card for this team. You never really know what you're going to get from Bobby Portis, but he, if if Bobby Portis comes in and gives you a good game with a couple of good good shots, rebounds, and hard defense, and his special brand of crazy that only he can deliver – that really elevates the ceiling of this Bucks team. So those are two role players that I'm going to be looking out for a lot in this series. For me, I think it's just going to be Cameron Johnson because he's one of only two players who actually asked me for advice on local food when they came to Mexico City. What did you tell him? 
Uh, try taco stands regardless of what the reputation for uh, Montezuma's Revenge is. And <laughs> not to bother with all the fancy stuff and Polanco, which is basically our, our Manhattan here in Mexico City. Who was the other player who asked? Uh, Boban Marjanovic. All right. <laughs> I, bet he, I bet he can eat so many tacos. <laughs> uh, cool. That's a good answer. Uh, I'm root- I, I want to see what Coach Bud is up to. I think that joking about Coach Bud, and I'll, I'm going to hold myself accountable to this, got lazy because there are some things that he's done in this postseason that have been really spectacular, even though he looks like he just got off the plane from Vegas and hasn't slept in 36 hours. But I think certainly with whatever's going on with Giannis and just the way that these playoffs have played out anyways, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see what he comes up with or doesn't. And I guess, frankly, if he keeps his job, although I imagine at this point he will. Uh, there, Actually, my real answer is uh, a former Celtic, so let's pivot to that part before we wrap the finals. So there are four players who played for Boston at some point in their career who are now in this uh, finals. We got Jay Crowder, obviously. Uh, Abdel Nader, uh, 2017 G League Rookie of the Year for the main, then main Red Claws. Thank you very much. Uh, Etuan Moore, who has been in the league, I think, since like the 1970s, as best as I can tell. And your boy, Jeff Teague, Alex. So 30 seconds on Jeff Teague. Go. I'm just so impressed that Jeff Teague could roll into a pivotal <laughs> game six in the Eastern Conference Finals, hit two threes, get a couple of free throws. And, you know, I mean, I think I've been one of Danny Ainge's biggest critics this past year. And ultimately, when the chips were down, we kind of knew, you, I mean, Danny had to go. And a big part of that is that you can't let a productive veteran basketball player like <laughs> Jeff Teague just walk out for, you know, a ham sandwich and a bag of chips. And he did that. And now Jeff Teague is in the finals. So I hope you're happy, Danny Ainge. And DeMarco, wherever you are. Uh, Dr. Quinn, I'm going to ask you about Crowder because I think he's the one who will actually play a a real role in these finals. Uh, What are you expecting out of Jay Crowder? What do you think he brings to the Suns? And are you surprised that he's now going to do this in consecutive NBA finals? Uh, No, not really at all. There is a really good article on The Athletic by, I think, Jay King that, you know, it reminded me of what we've been missing without Jay Crowder. And he, you know, to a point, it can be a fault even. He's an antagonizer in Mm -hmm. the true Danny Ainge mold that he always tried to bring to the team. He gets offended. Um, Ironically, he got offended, uh, I think it was, when the Suns hung, uh, well, when Booker hung 70 points on the Celtics. Man, that thunder is pretty intense here. Apologies. Crowder just brings a certain junkyard dog yeah. element with the, the, the real prototypical 3 and D shooting that a champion team needs and, to be perfectly frank, the Celtics need. So I'm not saying we should sign Jay Crowder, uh, <laughs> but we need to find someone like him. So I, I expect more, it's more of the same. I know it's not incredibly insightful analysis, but, I mean, he's always good about 10 points and a handful of rebounds. And sometimes he goes out for double that. Yeah, I think he, I mean, I love Jay Crowder. I really hope that he kicks ass. I hope like a la Andre Iguodala, he wins the finals MVP. Uh, He, I think he looks like he makes a lot of mistakes on defense, but that's because he's there to pick up other people's pieces for the Suns. I mean, I think he's such a underrated part of that team. Although I'm sure the people in the Suns locker room don't think that. Uh, 
Uh, so yeah, uh, with respect to Jeff Teague, I hope that it's Crowder, Nader, and Moore who are the former Celtics who get rings in this one. I'm pretty pumped for Jay Crowder. Uh, closer to home, though, some Celtics are actually playing basketball right now, most notably Mr. Jason Tatum, who was down in Miami working out with Bam Adebayo, which I saw a lot of uh, photoshops of Jason Tatum in Miami Heat jerseys, and I, if, if I was in Miami, I probably wouldn't hold my breath, but you never know. Uh, they are now in Las Vegas, Team USA is uh, doing some friendlies, There's Nigeria is down there, I think. Argentina and one or two other teams are in Vegas kind of mucking about before they'll head over to Tokyo for the Olympics. And I have a quote from Greg Popovich on Jason Tatum's progress since uh, the World Cup. So this is my Greg Popovich impression uh, on Jason Tatum. He's become more of a two-way player. He's more confident. He's developed more skills. He's more aggressive, and he knows he can dominate people. So, uh, Justin, I'll go to you first. What are your expectations for Tatum on the world stage? I think he's going to be one of the primary scorers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty evident that they expect that from him. I mean, realistically, the only person who I would say is definitely head and shoulders above him as a player is KD on that roster. So it's pretty clear that they expect him to carry a pretty significant part of the load, not really on both ends. And it's going to be tougher. I mean, it's not going to be a breeze to the gold. We saw them struggle, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the FIBA World Cup. I think this is a much better team, but conversely, also some of the other national teams, like the French national team, which has Evan Fournier on it, as a matter of fact, uh, and several other Celtics. I think they also have um, Vincent Poirier and uh, Gershon Yabusele. Pretty, pretty good uh, – Pretty good rosters, and not just because of that. I mean, they also have uh, Rudy Gobert and uh, Nick Batum and a bunch of other guys on the French national team. And, and you know, there's, there's a couple of – I mean, Slovenia is pretty good. So, yeah, that's, that's basically my expectations. I think that gold is probable but not, not guaranteed, and he's going to play a pretty big role. Yeah, on that note, you know, one thing that I found interesting about Team USA and Tatum is that they actually listed him as a guard in their initial roster announcement which implies to me, and I think the pop quote kind of speaks to that, that Justin, I agree, I think Jason Tatum is going to be a kind of focal point offensive player, but I think in a way that they are maybe not necessarily expecting in terms of a kind of traditional Jason Tatum approach to the game, I think they really want him to be a ball handler and a playmaker. Uh, And I have to say, you know, as a Celtics fan heading into next year with some relative uncertainty at the point guard position, particularly when it comes to playmakers and creators. If Pop can get Tatum involved on Team USA as a distributor, as a playmaker in this kind of point forward role that I think Mm -hmm. he could really thrive at, that would be an exceptionally cool thing to watch. So that's, I'm going to be looking out for how Tatum does generally on the Olympics, but in particular, I'm going to be paying attention to how he works as a facilitator and playmaker. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much I'll watch of this just because games are at eight in the morning or 1230 at night, but I'm really interested to see. I think Tatum will do a lot of the heavy lifting um, because he not only has the skills to do it, I bet the assessment that he's second only to KD is probably accurate. Uh, I'm sure the old guard, at least early on, doesn't want to do too much 
of the work. They're happy to let younger legs get out and run. And then also, Jason Tatum seems to have signed every endorsement possible in the past, I don't know, six months. And so if Team USA or the Olympics or whomever else is looking to push this star on the behalf of Ruffles and Subway and Spotify and Gatorade and like literally everything else, Tatum is um, certainly the guy. Man, that big deuce tattoo is really ugly. I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason, but what the hell, dude? Uh, I guess it was God's will. So that's basically it for the Olympics, at least for now. I'm sure that we will talk about that. Do you in, have uh, one? Yeah. Uh, the, there is one more thing that from Popovich's press conference that I thought is worth noting is that he gave a nice endorsement of Ume Udoka as a head coach. Um, he said, I couldn't be more thrilled. That guy is a stalwart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, getting that endorsement from a coaching legend, Greg Popovich, is always nice to hear. I don't know that it's going to actually uh, affect how Ime approaches the game very much, but <laughs> it certainly has me excited as somebody who was partially so pumped about Udoka's hire specifically because of how he came up in the Popovich tree. Uh, first of all, your Greg Popovich impression might be better than mine. Uh, second of all, stalwart is a vocabulary word when I taught the eighth grade for the book, The Pearl. So I guess um, Pop has been reading his Steinbeck, but I'm not surprised. Here are the odds for the Olympics, just because I was curious while you were talking about it, Justin. Uh, I, I truly will say that I never would have guessed that this is the order or these are the odds, but U.S. is favored. They're minus 305. This is by way of DraftKings, and this is not an endorsement of gambling. This is just reporting information. Serbia is the second at plus, or I guess they're tied with Spain. They're both plus 800. Never would have guessed that. Uh, France is third, I guess, plus 1,700. Then Australia, plus 2,500, tied with Greece, Lithuania, and then Argentina, Croatia, Slovenia, Turkey, Venezuela, and Canada down the line. I never would have guessed those odds. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think Canada was already eliminated in the qualifier, actually. I think they brutal. Yeah. um, Yeah, this is from last week, the week before. So maybe it's changed a little bit, but... Those are still really surprising numbers to me. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Nigeria is up to. A lot of um, cool NBA players on that team. Uh, Okay, and then the last bit of news, I suppose, is that um, our friend Yoshi, the 2020 draft and stash player who is in Israel right now, will be playing in Summer League this summer. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you've written about uh, Yam a few times. Yam Madair, I think is how we've decided to pronounce his name a.k.a. Yoshi. Give us a scoop on on Yoshi and what you want to look for in Summer League, although that's a few weeks away. Well, I think there's some ambiguity about whether he's going to actually be joining Boston beyond this summer. It may hinge on some ongoing contract arbitration with Hapoel Tel Aviv, his current club. Mm-hmm. It seems that they really like to hang on to him because he did you know, really, really well Uh, this season over in the Israeli Premier Basketball League. My read on the situation is as long as he's not completely cowed by something approximating uh, NBA game speed a little bit more than than the Premier League is over there, which is not, I I should emphasize, a bad league. It's one of the the top four or five uh, basketball leagues in the world that participates in the Euro League. It's Mm -hmm. not a bad league. It's definitely better than NCAA's. 
I think the idea is just to see how well he can compete with actual NBA players, even if they are, you know, among the lowest lowest uh, tier NBA players. And so long as he does fairly well, and this is the big asterisk, even if he does do well, there is a chance that, you know, if they don't want to pay, for example, his buyout fee and he loses the arbitration, he might not come over. If for some strange reason, which, you know, I don't think this is going to happen, but if they don't find a way to make a spot for him, that could also be, um, sorry for the drama. That's really no, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So there, just because he's coming over, let's not get it in our head that he's going to be a Boston Celtic next season. There's, there's a, a bunch of different paths, outcomes where he might just not be able to, even if they do like him. But it's looking better than ever that we might actually get to see him in an actual NBA game. I mean, this summer league roster, again, I'm sure we'll touch on this when we have nothing else to talk about. The summer league roster looks really fun. I'm really pumped for that. I think I'll tune into the Olympics here and there, but summer league might be uh, the basketball that I'm most looking forward to, uh, at least on behalf of the Celtics. I mean, I'm pretty pumped for the finals. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves that the finals are what we wait all year for. Uh, any thoughts on the finals, the Olympics, anything else we missed before we talk about some of the uh, off-the-court stuff that we've seen in the past few days? Just one thing to throw out there. Uh, Slovenia is another team that is in the Olympics, and I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in Slovenia other than that uh, Luka Doncic is back to his ways of carrying a team basically single-handedly. Uh, one of his teammates, I think pretty ecstatically explained that they had the best basketball player in the world on their team after Slovenia's big win in the qualifiers to, I believe, formally make the Olympic tournament. So I think it's going to be more interesting than your standard Team USA bludgeons everybody field, for sure, because Mm -hmm. unlike kind of previous years, there are not only NBA players on these teams, but some of these NBA players are quite good, like all-star and all-NBA level players between Luka Doncic. Presumably Jokic will be suiting up for Serbia at some point. That's probably Mm -hmm. a big part of why they're okay in the odds. Uh, It's kind of unclear whether Giannis will be able to make it over to Greece, uh, Team Greece in time for games but we'll see the the point is though that unlike previous years uh the competition in other teams that are not team usa is a little bit stiffer to your original point justin so gonna be an interesting olympics we'll see i hope so i mean i hope i hope the olympics are safe and wonderful and enjoyable for all i think this is another sports product that has made a deal with the devil vis-a-vis covid but that's neither here nor there this time around because it's there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> Train seems to have left the station. So we'll close out. We'll, we might spend five minutes. We might spend 20 uh, talking about some of the stuff that just happened in the past few days uh, in terms of Rachel Nichols. I'll, I guess I'll set the table in just a second. I'm sure that people know what I'm talking about. Um, so we'll talk about it because we haven't to each other yet. It's possible that this is brief and in the next few weeks, you might hear us pick this uh, idea up or the vagaries of this kind of event up with more specificity, but we'll see where we go. So I am, of course, talking about the New York Times bombshell story about Rachel Nichols, some of the comments 
that she made about Maria Taylor, the woman who also works on the jump and at ESPN. And uh, I could, I guess I can give background if anyone needs, I'm sure, every, I'm sure everyone knows at this point, if you haven't just hit pause and do a bit of Googling because there's a lot to uh, pick apart. And there's been a lot that has happened since uh, Nichols gave what I think was supposed to be an apology on air um, with Richard Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins, who also uh, have talked since about this apology. Nichols is not going to be covering the finals from the sidelines, but will be hosting the jump per usual. So with that, uh, it's Tuesday before game one. Maybe these things, things will change. Um, who wants If someone hop in first, what do you think? What was your initial thought? And then we'll kind of, build because there are layers to this it's just kind of a debacle on all different levels you know obviously Nichols what she said on the recording was incredibly gross and uh it does not speak well of her as an NBA reporter and as a professional and in fact it seems like she based on the New York Times stories has really ruffled some feathers at ESPN specifically with her colleagues Jalen Rose and Woj uh, as well as, of course, um, you know, many, many, many more. So um, that that was a big mess. But you know, as as bad as Nichols' comments were, uh, I think the real focus does have to be on the culture of ESPN generally, uh, which has been a huge problem, not just in this instance, but for many, many years. I mean, we've had reports of. Uh, harassment against women, racism, you know, the, the ESPN workplace culture by all accounts has kind of run the gamut of really gross and nasty things, all of the stereotypes mm-hmm. of like sports media uh, being kind of dominated by like oafish white guys who think that they're, you know, absolute geniuses for their recycled sports takes and can treat women and minorities like shit. Um, so uh, it, I think it's a, it's Nichols definitely like not defending Rachel Nichols at all. She, what she said is, is really gross and deplorable, but um, it, it strikes me as yet another in a long chain of toxic workplace culture from ESPN and uh really hope that they can do something about that in the near future. But the reality is that as long as their current um, set of leadership is in place, they probably will not be. Well, one of the things that occurs to me, which is frustrating to say the least, is ESPN's role in all of this, because uh, this story actually goes back to last summer uh, when another colleague uh, leaked to this conversation and it was handled internally and that colleague was a black woman was actually put on administrative leave for two weeks in response to leaking the initial conversation, the one where Rachel Nichols uh, is talking to uh, a LeBron press guy, interestingly enough, um, Adam Mendelson. And so ESPN handled this internally, which I guess is their prerogative as a business, but it doesn't look like they had any interest in condemning Rachel Nichols for the comments that she made. Um, What's really interesting to me is, you know, she is someone who has worked really hard to get where she is. She went to Northwestern School of Journalism. She 
really did the local paper out all the way to the top. I mean, I think she burst onto the national spotlight with the whole Roger Goodell, Ray Rice situation. So it's not like she doesn't understand the messiness of media when it comes to topics like these. And I'm, I just, I can't imagine being someone who's so close to where sports and culture intersect and being so obstinate and wrong about the state of affairs. I can understand maybe getting caught saying something a little uncouth, but this is some of the statements taken out of context probably are unfair, but in its entirety, the conversation itself is just a really ugly one to think that someone like Rachel Nichols would be having, even in their private life. Um, So I'm really disappointed that ESPN and the Trailblazers and the NBA and the advertisers and the fans are just bumbling and stumbling from ugliness to more ugliness over the past few weeks because uh, maybe this is like the post-Trump world where there's no such thing as bad PR and you never admit guilt and you never apologize and you just ride up the wave and they know that Twitter isn't real life, which is, I think, a fair point. I think only 5% of Americans use Twitter. Uh, but maybe that's just the new PR game is that you just roll with it, but it's really disappointing um, to say the least, obviously. And for three white presenting guys to really yuck this up, we're not even scratching the surface because I think if I was a person of color or a woman in that space, I would, my emotional and my intellectual disgust would be even higher. There's probably also things we don't know more drama. Uh, apologies again. I know I keep saying that, but I don't mean to be broadcasting. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little, little gravitas, I suppose. But I mean, there's definitely more going on here than than we are necessarily party to. I mean, we have to think of it from an intersectional angle as well. Rachel has probably had to deal with being passed over for those aforementioned uh, white men who think that they're geniuses for their takes. Sure. And. That doesn't excuse what she said, but I mean, she also had, you know, co-workers rushing to defend her, like Amin El-Hassan, talking about how she helped him prevent uh, ESPN from getting funny with his paycheck at one point in his career, which he you know, wanted to make sure was known that it's, it's not necessarily as cut and dry as we might think as, as to who she is as a person. But at least in this particular instance, I, I have to agree, it really smacked me as, as surprising, to be honest, because I, I just, I didn't expect it. And frankly speaking, at, at this point, I guess I should be expecting it from everybody or, or anybody at this point. Yeah, like the players and the refs and the owners, to be the top dog on TV at ESPN, you have to be hyper competitive and you have to be really intensely uh, protectionist about your stake in the in that world, but and again, I, I think people listening to this might be of the the mind that like, hey, this is a private conversation. This is not her job. What the hell? But I do find it so upsetting that the, that those words came so easily to her, or that she would laugh off a Black Lives Matter Me Too joke from uh, Mendelssohn with such ease. And but it, it's just it's a really ugly situation. I. I don't know that there's necessarily anything smart to say about that one event so much as that I think we can use it to help pathologize 
the league and its media partners. And I think that that's something that we're identifying here is that the rules of the game, the things that are rewarded and the punishments that are available to the universe are out of whack. And again, this Nichols ESPN thing is one of a few stories in the NBA in the past few weeks that it's just a bummer to put it lightly, I think. Uh, So perhaps we could keep going or perhaps again, we're going to do this, I think with more specificity research and some guests who might have uh, even more information than us. Uh, if you can imagine a person with more information than us, but uh, I can, I can <laughs> a lucky person. Um, any other thoughts, things you want to share about this one or are we good for it for now? Uh, I have an irrelevant thing that sure. uh, I wanted to throw out there. And this is straight from the NBA rumor verse. Uh, it does not have, I think much bearing in reality, but worth mentioning. We'll see. Uh, you never know with the team involved. There is some murmurs that both of the Los Angeles based NBA basketball teams, the Clippers and Lakers respectively are interested in uh, trying to acquire former Celtic Kemba Walker to be their starting point guard for next season. Um, The thing about this is that neither of these teams are in a particularly great place to do this from Mm -hmm. an asset management standpoint. It would have to do a lot of different uh, contracts flipping, and they'd have to presumably include some first-round picks, both of which uh, they do not have a lot of. So uh, it seems like it would be a pretty difficult deal to work out, but rumor mill is the rumor mill and you know we have to we do have to take a look at these things even if they are kind of on their face a little ridiculous so something to watch the lakers the clippers and kemba what will happen there i think that and we don't have to spend too much time on kemba because he's not a boston celtic anymore this is not thunder lab although (laughs) apparently justin's house it is uh I don't think you can pay Kemba Walker $36 million and be a contender. I just, I can't think of a team that has that much salary available without that really messing up the balance of power on their roster. Maybe a young team like the Knicks or I guess maybe the Mavericks like could figure it out because they haven't, they're not hemorrhaged with paying their stars and their clutch guys and all that stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I saw the same rumor too, Alex and, it's fun to think about, but I just, I can't imagine. And then there's the whole side of like, why the hell would you want Kemba Walker on your contender? But uh, we don't have to talk about it anymore. We're free. This isn't Thunder Rock. Uh, although I'm sure if something happens with Kemba, we'll, we'll talk about it. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you got this far, please rate us on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else. It makes a huge difference for us. Thanks for listening. And hopefully next week we don't have another sociological bombshell time wrap we can just talk about the olympics or something but until next time thanks again